0: And we're we're working our way through the book of Acts um, very fast. Um, And we've had two sermons and we've got to chapter 13, which is pretty good going. And um, really what we've seen so far is that Acts chapters 1 to 6 is all based in Jerusalem. Okay, It starts in Jerusalem. So I want you to picture Jerusalem, this dot on the map. And it starts there. Everything's happening there. That's where the early church is born. That's where the Spirit is poured out. And... And, and it's, it's all there. But then we saw last week, in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that suddenly things start to happen that were not part of the plan, that were not part of the original intention that the early disciples, they weren't thinking. It, it, stuff happened like persecution. And you know when you go to a fireworks show and there's kind of nice fireworks and then there's those nasty little ones again. You know the ones I mean? That they're kind of, and they just fire out in all sorts of different directions. Acts chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, feel a little bit like that. Things happen, and it's like, oh, they go over here, and they're going over here. And, and it seems slightly, humanly speaking, fairly random. And persecution happens, and, and the gospel goes out from Jerusalem. But what we're going to see today is that you begin to discern a very clear pattern in what is happening from chapters 13 to 20. That's what we're doing today. And we're going to watch the gospel today. Listen to this, right? Here's some serious momentum gets going. We're going to watch the gospel go to Cyprus, to Perga, to Pisidian, Antioch, to Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. That's what we're doing today. The gospel is going to go to all those Places. And there's real momentum. And it, you get this real sense that the gospel just cannot be stopped. I don't know if you've ever played rugby. I very rarely have. But my understanding of the game is that if you're running fast, you're much harder to stop. If you've got some momentum behind you, it's much harder to stop you. And the gospel here is running with real momentum. It's exciting. It's powerful what's going on. But don't be... Um, Don't be confused and and, and, and distracted and think, therefore, it's easy. It's not. We're going to see it's really hard as it spreads. But before we get to looking at all that list of names, I want to show you that something very significant happens, and this is going to be the big thing we're going to be learning. We started with the church in Jerusalem. A second church becomes highly significant in the book of Acts. And that's the church in Antioch. And I want us to get to know this church in Antioch. I want us to get go visit it together. And I want us to explore what happens in Antioch that causes the gospel to go. So come with me to Acts um, 13. And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 3. And let's read about Antioch. The church was planted back in chapter 11. Um, when some people went to Antioch and spoke the gospel. But let, look, look from verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so here's this church in Antioch and there's these guys in Antioch and they send them off. Right now, we're going to fill in the gaps in a minute, but come to the end of chapter 14. So in chapter 14, verse 26, Paul and Barnabas go, Woo, traveling around, traveling around. Verse 26, from Italia they sailed back to Antioch where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they'd now been completed. On arriving there they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So you see Antioch out go Saul and Barnabas or Paul and Barnabas they travel around, visit, 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 come back to Antioch and you discover that Antioch becomes this central hub for the gospel to spread out. So no longer do we look at the book of Acts like a random chaos. You look at the book of Acts and you begin to see patterns emerging. You see Jerusalem as a hub and the gospel spreading out, you know, like a wheel and the spokes coming out from the hub. And now there's another one, Antioch, a hub, and from there spokes coming out. And what happens then later on um, is that they're sent out again from Antioch and they travel around some more and they come back to Antioch and then they're sent out again from Antioch and then they come back to Antioch. And that pattern is really significant. This is no random thing that's happening. This is a church who are instrumental in seeing the message of Jesus spread. That's the big picture. So come back to chapter 13. How does it spread? Well, firstly, I want us to think this is a church that is big into sending. Sending. This is a generous church. They've got a nice little staff team building, right? Antioch. The church in Antioch is going well. How's it going? It's great. We've got a nice little staff team. We've got some good uh, some good teachers. We've got Barnabas and uh, these other guys. And this guy called Saul, he's all right. He's quite a good Bible teacher. Now, this is great. Isn't this going well? And... Lots of people have come to know Jesus and the church is getting bigger. It's really successful. And as the church is praising God and worshiping and and, and praying and dependent on God, they're told to send Barnabas and Saul. Now, look, we live in a culture where success is critical. Where being successful really matters. You are under massive pressure, aren't you, to be successful. And if that is your driving motivation in life, to be a success, it makes sending things really, really hard. right? Look, This is true in, in all areas of life, that we, we want to be successful. I want to be a successful sportsman. <laughs> That didn't go well. I want to be a successful dad. I want to be a successful this. But it creeps into church. We want to be a successful church. We want to be a church that can say, look how much we've grown. We want to be a church that's well known. A church that's got a shiny website and an impressive this and people come from miles around to come and listen because they love it. Oh, we love that church. It's great. And if you're driven by success, you will will become a hoarder You will grab stuff, you'll hoover it up and you will hoard it for yourself. You'll keep it. And you might give some stuff away but only the stuff that doesn't threaten your success. Right? In fact, you might give stuff away as long as it helps you to be more successful. Here is a church in Antioch that were asked to give, to send, the best they had. I reckon if I'd been in that that meeting, it might well have been, well, can't we send Lucius? What about him? No one's heard of him. You know, he's a young, enthusiastic. Perhaps we could send him. Or Menaean. Why do we have to send Saul and Barnabas? I think if the Apostle Paul was the pastor of our church, it would be a tough gig to send, well, let's send him, shall we? Because if you want to be successful, you keep hold of your best assets and you send the things that are not so good. You send the things you can think you can live without. You make out you're being generous. Oh yes, we're sending. Yes. We're sending Lucius. Yeah, but Lucius is rubbish. No one wanted him anyway. It's not generous to send what you don't... I'm being harsh and Lucius. But you get my point. To give of your best is painful and it threatens the church in Antioch. This will cost them. This will make it harder for them. And yet, they are a church, do you see, who are not about success but about worship. They're a church not who are focused in on themselves but who are focused up on God and who say, what do you want us to do? They're fasting. That means they're dependent on God. They're trusting him. They're not self-sufficient. They're not all about themselves. Worship, worship, worship. And the Holy Spirit says to them, "Set, set apart Barnabas and Saul. I don't know how the Holy Spirit did that. We're not told whether that was a voice. He said, set apart. We're not told what it was. But they were under no doubt that that's what they should do. And it wasn't easy for them. Look at verse 3. They fasted and prayed some more. Are we sure this is right? And then they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Can I say that sending is a staggeringly hard and beautiful thing to do? And the reason I know that it's beautiful is because this church in Antioch were not the original senders. If you go back in the Bible, back to the Gospels, back to Jesus, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead in John 20, looked at his disciples and said, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Do you know where sending starts? It starts in the heart of God. God sent his son. God the Father so loved this world that he sent his son so that you could know him. That is the generous heart of God. He's not a God who's a hoarder. You understand that? He's not a God who just grabs and keeps for himself. He's a God who sends And he goes on sending, and he doesn't send rubbish. He sends the very best he has. I sent my son, my only son, the son whom I love. When we give, when we send, we're only doing what God first did. The father sent his son, Jesus. Jesus then sends his disciples, and now this church sends out Barnabas and Saul. How how could they do anything other than that? And then in verse 4 you discover it wasn't them that sent Barnabas and Saul anyway. Look at verse 4. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And so now you discover that this extraordinary thing is happening where the church is sending and God is sending and this beautiful partnership of sending is taking place. That is what kickstarts the mission that we're about to read of. It starts... With a church who are willing to send. So, Globe Church, are we a church that is going to hoard stuff or are we going to be a church that sends? I find that the pressure to be successful is so massive. The, ch- the pressure to try and be impressive, the, the pressure to try and gain praise from the world is so powerful. I would really ask you to pray this for me and for us as elders and leaders and for us as a church that we would not be seduced by the need to be impressive. Because otherwise, we're going to hoard stuff and we'll never be generous. Or that we would be a church who are willing to send. And I want to show you that this is really exciting. Because you may say, well, yeah, but what does this look like for us? Well, I think there have been times when the Holy Spirit has said, set apart these people for me. Why did we send a group of people to go and plant a church down at Hope Church? Why did we send Sam Gibb set him and Charlie apart and then send that little group down? Why did we do that? They were some of our best, right? Why did we send them? Because we believed the Holy Spirit wanted a church in Vauxhall. That's exciting. Why are we sending Phil and Vicky? Because we are absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit has said, set apart Phil and Vicky and Rosie and Lydia for myself. Set them apart and send them. We want to be obedient. We've prayed about that. And we want to be obedient. Now look, that's costly. That will will hurt us as a church, right? That's not a good growth strategy. It would have been better to keep Phil and Vicky. That would have been a better plan. But it's not God's plan. This is what we're going to be called to do over and over again. And we're going to have to get used to this, Globe Church. This is what we are about. And you're going to have to call me out when you think I'm hoarding, not sending. And we're hoarding, not sending. We're going to have to keep challenging each other on this because we're going to always feel the pressure to keep, to keep, to keep. And we've got to be a church that sends, sends, sends. And it might be easy to say, well, Hope Church and Phil and Vicky, yeah, I can see that, I can see that. Well, what about all of us, right? All of us either are involved in sending or being sent. That's what we do. You are involved in sending Phil and Vicky to Vietnam. The Spirit's sending them, we're sending them, everyone's involved, and we are part of that. And what about when you leave Globe Church? What about it's time for you to move on? I want to challenge you not ever to leave Globe Church. Be sent. You see the difference? Say, so, Father, where would you send me? Talk to us as a church family. Let's be sending one another all over the place. Not just leaving our oh, um, Let's move on now. Time to go and do something else. No, be sent, be intentional. Let's be saying, you know, talking to one another, talk to those you trust in the church. Where do you think I should go? What should I do with my life? Pray about it. Let's be praying about it as a church family so that we'd be sending people all over the place. Sending people to be, I don't know what, anywhere, anywhere, whatever. Just go somewhere. And those of you who don't go, stay and send. You get the point, let's move on. And so they're sent. And off they go. They go to Cyprus. We're going to go much faster now. <laughs> they go to Cyprus. And uh, all sorts of things happen on the island of Cyprus. They then travel around. So they go to <laughs> Pisidian Antioch, which is confusing. That's a different Antioch. Very confusing. And Paul preaches a sermon to the Jews in in Pisidian Antioch. And he explains the whole Old Testament And he says, this is the story of the Bible. This is what we're about. I'm preaching this good news. And look at verse 38, chapter 13, verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And so here is Paul. He's been sent from Antioch to do this work. He knows what he's got to do. He's been sent to preach. He's not been sent to faff around and have a holiday in Cyprus. He's been sent with a job to do. Look, if you get sent overseas, suppose you work for someone and they send you to uh, Florida for a week. You are, there's a difference between being sent there and choosing to go there on holiday. If you're sent, you have work to do. There's something to get on with. You can't just enjoy the sights. You've got something to get on with. That's what Paul is saying. Paul understands he's been sent. So he's preaching. He's telling everyone about Jesus. And it's so clear. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. That's it. You can't be justified by the law. We're going to do more of this in a second. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. And it's forgiveness in his name. Anyway, they don't really like it. Um, The Jews are filled with jealousy. It it all goes pear-shaped. Um, but the word of God spreads, and then they uh, leave there. And verse chapter fourteen, they head to Iconium, and they preach in Iconium. And then they travel on a little bit further, and they go to Lystra. And in Lystra, it's extraordinary. They they heal this person, um, this um, lame man, and the crowd. <laughs> go crazy, right? Verse 11, the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So these two guys, right, they're preaching and suddenly all, what a reaction that is. And so Barnabas and Saul are like, no, No, let's not do that. (laughs) They tear their clothes. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news. I love this. They just keep preaching. No, don't worship us. We're bringing you good news. They don't go for the trial. Oh, yes, I'll have a robe actually. Thank you very much. That's very nice. But then look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Man, it's fickle. You're a god. We worship you. Have a bull, have a reef, have a blah 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 blah. Now we're going to stone you to death. What is it you see, it's so crazy. But the gospel is going out and, and there's all these reactions. And it's hard. Paul is stoned, right? They lob stones at him to the point where they think he's dead, they grab him by the feet, they drag him out of the city, assuming he's dead. Look what he does, verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. You might think, I, th- I think I'll have a sabbatical after being stoned. I'll take a little time off to have a rest. But here is this man who is so gripped by what he has been sent to do that he says, I must keep speaking this message. I think it's very likely that a miracle happened when Paul is stoned and nearly dead. I think it's very likely that God raised him from death to life. Whether he actually died, who knows. But something extraordinary happened because God wants his message to keep going. So they go on to Derby, They preach in that city and win a large number of disciples. And then they go back to Lystra. Yeah, that was the place you just got stoned. But now watch what they do. They go back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. You see, this is what they do. They're sent and then they go back. And they go back all the way through until they get back to where they got sent from, Antioch. And they tell the church there and the church there say, That's so exciting. We sent you to do that. You did it. You come back. Woohoo! Praise God. Let's stay for a little bit and rest. That's the strategy. It's cool. And being sent or being a sender is what we're about. It was a church that was into sending. Right. We need to move on. Because what happens next? is really quite surprising. I'm going to show you that um, Antioch was a church that was um, into defending. Um, Right, let me read chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debates with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. Now, this seems really... Irri- I think it would be easy to imagine Paul being quite irritated by this. There's so many people I need to go, keep travelling, travelling, Oh man, now I've got to go to Jerusalem and talk about something, about circumcision? What a waste of time. No, this is not a waste of time. This is critical. You have Antioch up here and Jerusalem down here. And now there is a bit of conflict between Antioch and Jerusalem. Some people from Judea, from Jerusalem, have come up to Antioch and have begun to say to Antioch, the new Christians who are Gentiles, you need to be circumcised. In other words, you need to become like Jews. It's all very well that you're believing in Jesus, that's nice. But to really be saved, you need to become Jewish. And so they have an argument up in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. And then they come down to Jerusalem to sort the issue out. And I want you to understand that what happened in Jerusalem is so critical for us sitting here today. If they'd got this wrong, we wouldn't be here today. They have a discussion where they work out, do you have to become Jewish in order to be saved? What is the place of the law? And they have this big council. They all get together in Jerusalem and they talk about this issue. Verse 5 Some of the believers who belong to the, Pharisee, the, the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So these are believers. Okay? These are not nasty, random boo, this false teachers coming in. These are believers. They're trying to work it out. Well, surely these new guys I mean, surely they've got to keep the law that's just how it works right to please God you've got to keep the law everyone knows that he's given his ten commandments keep the commandments please God verse 6 the elders, uh, apostles and elders met to consider this question they're talking about it is that right what do we think they're discussing it they're trying to work out this issue it's a big issue And after much discussion, they talk and talk, and then Peter stands up. Now, remember, Peter, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter is the one who had the vision. We saw this last week, where he was told that Gentiles were not to be excluded, not to be treated differently. And so this is what he said. And if you're a Gentile here, you should be very, very grateful that Peter stood up. Brothers, verse 7, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Here's the climax. Ready? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter stands up and says, no, the Gentiles do not have to become Jews. They are saved by grace. The law never saved anyone. Grace saves. Um, On Friday night, um, I got myself into debt. Um, I went out for a meal with my family and when you go out for a meal what happens is you run up a debt okay, we ordered food and with every mouthful that we ate and every plate that was brought to the table our debt increased I owed something and the more that my children ordered the more my debt went up and you're there and you're enjoying the food but you know that there comes a point at which you have to pay your debt right? It sort of hang, sort of hangs over you slightly. I know I've got to settle up at the end. I'm enjoying my meal, but the debt is coming. Until the most extraordinary thing happened. There was a man sitting at the table just behind us. And he was on his own working on his computer. And he got up, he would finished his meal. We've just kind of nearly finished our main course. He got up. He tapped me on the shoulder and he said your bill has been paid and then he walked off I said I said Wait, what? He said well, he asked if he could pay your bill for you I had no idea who he was no idea he just said he likes to do it from time to time I was blown away I was actually blown away. And I thought, the debt that I owed has been paid in full by someone else. And so I got up from the meal and I walked out. It was a really weird feeling. And we talked about it as a family. Isn't that amazing? What an extraordinary thing to have happened. And we got excited about that. It's nothing compared to what God has done for us. This is grace. Every single day, I'm running up a debt. All the time, I'm running up a debt with God. I keep doing things that I know he says are wrong. I'm selfish. I tell lies. I speak unkindly. And I owe a debt. I owe a debt. Every single human being, we're running up a debt. And one day, I will have to pay my debt. One day I will meet God and he will say, you have to pay. But then a man called Jesus tapped me on the shoulder and said, I've paid it. I've paid it in full. That's what the Bible means when it talks about grace. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. You owe a debt and Jesus paid it. When I was a kid, I used to go to this camp, and there was a song that we used to sing, and it said, I, paid a, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sin away. But now I sing Amazing Grace, and now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long, for Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Jesus paid everything. He went to a cross to die because the law stands against you, because the law says you owe, you owe, you owe, you owe. Every time that you've not worshipped God, every time that you've stolen something, told a lie, coveted your neighbor's donkey, every time you've committed adultery, every time you've committed murder, every angry thought, everything, the debt piles up and piles up and piles up. And the law says you're guilty and you must pay. And it's a burden and a burden. And Jesus come and says, I'll take that for you. He pays it all. That's grace. And Peter stood up on that day and said, that is how you're saved. And I want to say to you this afternoon, if you don't know that, if you don't know that your debt is being paid in full, then you have to understand what Peter stood up and said. It is by grace that we're saved. You can't earn it. You can't pay it. You simply accept it and you walk out of the restaurant and your debt is paid. That is grace. And there will always be those who want to place a burden on you. Oh, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. No, Jesus has done it all. Grace is the most precious thing. That's what the early church knew. That's still what we believe today. Grace and grace alone. Amazing grace. How sweet that sounds. And as verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they then listened to Barnabas and Paul talk about what God has done through the Gentiles. And then James stands up and says, look, Simon's, that's Peter, they've all got two names, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, he says it was always God's plan that the Gentiles were brought in. They don't have to become Jews. They're saved by grace. Jews saved by grace. Gentiles saved by grace. Everyone saved by grace. All who believe in this Jesus. And then it goes weird. Just when you thought, great, got it, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Look what James finished. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling, to, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times And it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. I thought we were saved by grace. Why have you now got these little rules? Okay, this isn't that difficult. This is not how you're saved. This is how you show love. You see, between the Jews and the Gentiles, these were the things that would make it extraordinarily difficult for a Jew to accept a Gentile. You see, the law is still being preached. The law is still precious to the Jews. And if the Gentiles take grace and go, ah, it doesn't matter what I do then. You know, someone says to me, um, actually, I'm, I'm quite offended by the, the, the fact that you're eating that food. You go, yeah, but I'm saved by grace. I can eat what I want. Now, James says, look, Gentiles, please please would you do these things in order that the relationship might grow. This is beautiful. You're saved by grace and then you live under the law of love. You live under the law of Christ that says love one another. Love, love, love. And if you have a problem with me eating blood, then I'll never eat blood again so that I can be in relationship with you. Not circumcision. That's an identity thing. These are fellowship things. These are about relationship. And therefore, this is about a relationship being formed. And Antioch and Jerusalem are united by grace got to see that so let's be a church that defends grace that says there is no burden let's not place burdens on one another says you must do this you must do this you must know you're saved by grace it's wonderful let's celebrate grace let's sing of it all day long and let's love let's be generous to one another generous in the way we treat each other there's lots more that could be said but we haven't got time to do that So let's race on through. The letter gets sent uh, back to Antioch and they're excited about it and they're happy. Um, Paul and Barnabas fall out, which is sad. Um, But then when we get to chapter 16, we'll see Paul go off on another journey. And we're going to race through this very quickly as we finish. I just want to show you one thing here. Have a look at um, chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So Paul's trying different things. Do you see what's happening? Paul's trying to go here. No, okay, not there. Okay, I'm going over here. Oh, no, not there. I'm not sure how the Holy Spirit, but they couldn't go through. They kept trying to go places and the door was shut and they couldn't get in. It must have been frustrating and weird. And then Paul works, finds out why. During the night, verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Right, this is how it works, okay? It's not all the neat. Right, go there, 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 there. The gospel spreads as the church keeps pushing, as you keep trying stuff. Sometimes we're so crippled, but I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know what job to take, I don't know, well try something, have a go, I'm going to go over here, oh, no I'm not, (laughs) not that way then. This is how God shapes his mission, this is how God gets the gospel to go where he wants it to go, as we try stuff not sitting around trying to make the perfect plan, but having a crack at something, trying something, having a go, and the door slams in your face going, hmm, not that way then. And you don't go, not that way. This is a disaster. You go, not that way, must be another way. You keep trying. And some of you guys, you're going to be facing this a lot, the decisions that you make with your life and the directions that you take in your life. If you see yourself as one who is sent by Jesus and by the church to speak this message, then you'll keep trying stuff. And it doesn't matter whether you end up in Scotland or Timbuktu. It doesn't, if you're going to preach the gospel, it doesn't matter. God will get you where he wants you to go. As you pray and you try. You may have a vision of someone calling you over. or It may just be that an opportunity comes up. You go, okay, I'll try that. Oh yes, look, this is, I'm going this way. And Paul ends up in Philippi, and people become Christians in Philippi, and a church is born, and then he moves on to Thessalonica, and a church is born there. He writes them a letter called Thessalonians. And then he gets to Berea. That's a great little place. They study the scriptures. They love the Bible in Berea, and they have a happy time there. Athens, oh, man, we spend hours in Athens. He's moved by what he sees in Athens. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they're worshipping, and he preaches to them. He gets to Corinth preaches the gospel in Corinth. and one da- I want to show you one last verse. Look at 18 verse 9. I think this was a moment when Paul was struggling. He's in Corinth, he's tired, he's been preaching, it's hard. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Remember where we started our service? Surely I am with you. Paul's told, I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Keep pushing. And when you feel tired, God comes alongside you and he says, I'm with you. Paul ends up then in Ephesus He heads back to Antioch first, and then he goes off to Ephesus, and the gospel spreads, and the name of Jesus is held in high. It's just terrific. Acts is terrific. But I want to show you that there is this intentionality from this church in Antioch. They sent him out, they defended grace, and then they just kept pushing. And the gospel went. And Paul is full of love for for this church that's growing. And I wonder this afternoon, as we study this stuff, and there's so much here, it's far too much really, but can you get a sense of excitement at what the gospel did then? Can you get a sense of being part of that again? (laughs) Giving your life for this? Giving your life to have a go? Giving your life to, to be a sender or to be sent? This is what life is about. This is what grace does to someone when it gets hold of you. I know that God might cause the name of Jesus to be held in high honour in London, in Vietnam, in France, across this world. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for grace. Thank you so much that grace means that Jesus paid everything so that we could go free, so that our debts could be paid. Father, thank you that we owe no more debt to you because of him. But there is no better news in all the universe than this. And we pray that we might play our part in the gospel going out that we might be like that church in Antioch, that we might be a church who's willing to send and to give and to keep sending and to be generous, to defend grace and to keep pushing, to see the gospel go further and further. Lord, help us, we pray, where we feel tired and discouraged and weak. Help us to see that Jesus is strong. And we ask it in his name. Amen.